windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Hunter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Sandos and the sidekick with you. Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, get ready for an exciting day. We're going to talk a little volleyball in the second segment. Then Dan Scott, anti-volleyball, if you will, is going to he's be anti-volleyball. I think he's he anti-volleyball. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just assuming he can't jump. You versus Dan Scott in a volleyball match, one on one. Oof. Ugly I think Dan. Event I think Dan. And, now Dan's a little older than me, but I think Dan in his heyday was an athlete. Where I think we could argue. If I've even been on a team. I mean, I have. I could argue that. So, uh, yes, the Dan Scott, play-by-play man, Furman Paladins. He might like volleyball. I don't know. Probably won't get into that today. We'll talk a little Timmons Arena at the very end. I've got to ask him a shocking question I discovered. Shocking. Little little tease for you for later on what we're going to talk Dan Scott about. And in the last segment, FCS, Top 25, we'll talk about that as well. It is a little bit of a basketball show today, isn't it? Not completely, but dropped in here and there because ETSU women's basketball started practice yesterday. Had a chance to catch up with Brittany Azell and Erica Haynes-Overton. And ETSU men's basketball starts practice tomorrow. Both teams with six newcomers apiece. Both teams obviously coming off successful conference seasons. Again, both teams, though, looking to get back to the NCAA tournament. ETSU women's basketball, it's been, I believe, eight seasons now. And for ETSU men's basketball, this will be season, was it been, two seasons since the last tournament appearance. And head coach Steve Forbes in his fifth year looking to get back there. And I know you're very excited for basketball to be here, as is probably much of Johnson City. It's a basketball city from what I have come to find in the two and a half years I've been here. It's also uh, for Coach Forbes in men's basketball is the most returners he's ever had. There'll be some new faces on the ladies' squad and have to see what Coach Ezell. But also, Eric Haynes Overton and Micah Sheetsback, so your well, top two players. I mean, first of all, you had me at Eric Haynes Overton, right? right? That's exactly right. So, And they open up with uh, uh, Tennessee and the uh, Lady Vols coming to town, and that will be in Freedom Hall. So we'll obviously have that game for you here on the Buccaneer Sports Network. We're pretty excited about it as um, both teams get ready for this season but a little bit of turnover still we'll have to see how quickly they can mesh together and some extra size right coming in for the women's squad yeah four of the six newcomers are six feet or taller so lost a lot of post up last year with Sadasia Tips, Lexus Spears, Raven Dean and Brittany Snowden. Brittany Snowden's back as a graduate assistant. Mallory Shear also a graduate assistant so some familiar faces on the staff of head coach Brittany Azell but yes definitely trying to reload in the post and then you look at the men's roster Trey Boyd. Bo Hodges, Davian Williamson, Patrick Good, Jerome Rodriguez, Isaiah Tisdale, Lucas Goussaint. I mean, the top-end pieces that were contributors last year to have all of those back. Obviously, Milad Narmus is gone. You know, that that isn't a great thing, but you also were really rich down low already last year. So to lose one player but still have Goussaint and still have, um, you know, the guards that you have. And then, of course, Jerome was a double-double machine last year. I mean, how can you go wrong? Well, and you get the fifth year and, and Joe Hughley, yeah. who averaged 12 points, eight rebounds in the American East, which is maybe not quite what the SoCon was last year, but in years past you could argue it's somewhat of a comparable league. So to have Hughley's numbers in there, and again, brought in uh, an extra big man uh, late in uh, Charlie Weber, uh, who's about six foot nine, is a freshman coming in as well. And then I, I'm kind of excited for uh, Vontae Patterson. Clevante Patterson is from uh, Johnny Logan Community College, which is the same one that, that Devontavius Payne was from. Very similar games, except for one thing uh, the fact uh, that Patterson tries to get to the rim more than I think 
that uh, Payne did, and I like to see it because I think the one thing missing from last year's team on the men's side was uh, having really a guy that could drive to the hoop to kind of create besides maybe Tisdale Williamson, besides two-point guards. didn't really have a wing guy that could do it. That's not really what Trey Boyd wants to do. It's certainly not what Pat Good wants to do. So to add that extra to the mix, I think it's going to help too. Pumper basketball will be back, but football's still here too. Let's talk about that. Big win. Randy Sanders excited Monday press conference. Well, we made plays at the end. You know, defensively had a couple interceptions during the fourth quarter that was huge. We were able to stop the run second half, which was huge. Offensively um, made some plays when we had to make them. You know, we Nate Atkins makes a huge catch for us. Uh, Quay had a couple of good runs. You know, we we did some good things. Are blocking up front, and we were just able to make some plays. And you know, kicker knocks field goal through against VMI. We don't knock the field goal through. No, I'm not putting it on the kicker, but there there were a lot of things. We played the kicking game better. You go back against VMI, we lost the penalty game, we lost on third downs, and we lost the game in the red zone tight zone. But they outplayed us in those three areas. Last week, we won those three areas. Football, obviously, everybody thinks about all the, the first downs and everything else, but it gets down to situations. If you play the situations really well, you got a chance to win. Last week, we won those three areas the week before we lost those three areas i'm just always interested to hear what coaches responses are about why did one close game go your way and another didn't or or something along those lines you had two very similar games at least in terms of how the final score played out one went your way one did not we can sit here and speculate and meander on and look at stats but to hear coach talk about it he broke it down i thought very succinctly and got it down to about three things that etsu did well one week and did not another week and you could have went even further. I mean, I, there were other things. You know, you talk about first downs, but third downs, right? ETSU, one of 12 the week before, seven of 17. I think uh, defense finally been able to force some turnovers late in the game. They've struggled with that, getting to the quarterback much better in the second half. The defense, the flip in the second half, VMI, as opposed to the flip against Austin P, huge, just 79 yards allowed in uh, total defense. And considering – that Austin P had three straight possessions around midfield to start a drive and couldn't get any points off that, and the defense sort of hold and serve to give the offense a chance. There's a lot going on there, but I, I think Coach, from his perspective, gave you a good idea of what he thought and what he's looking at in those games as opposed to what you mentioned where media folks or me and you are sitting there looking at it and just eyeballing stats and trying to pick something. One thing, one thing that concerns me about Furman, there's a lot of things, but – the thing that jumped off the sheet to me you talk about red zone tight zone 15 of 16 in red zone scores versus attempts but even more so the number 14 touchdowns, touchdowns yeah that's insane yeah that's, I mean, that's far and away the best in the southern conference and is up there in the nation too we'll talk about it more as we go along and we've even got a comment here on Furman from coach Sanders at the end of our bites in this first segment but absolutely outrageous I'd like for him to get 45 or 50 to be honest with you they're two of our best players and we got to continue finding ways to get the ball in our hands, whether it's handing it to them, throwing it to them, snapping it to them, putting them back there on, obviously returning kickoffs, things like that. We, we need those guys to touch the football because they make things happen, usually in a very positive way for us. Plus, if we can get it to them 45, 50 times, that means we're probably snapping the ball quite a bit, and, that, and that's a good thing for us offensively. So I counted 36 touches for Quay Holmes and Jacob Saylors, who he's referencing there this past game, and I said 35 to 40 is what I wanted. That's what I've kind of talked about over the last couple of weeks after they averaged 25 and a half combined in the previous two games 36 last week but even more room for improvement there says coach Sanders and those 36 did not include the two kick returns for Quay Holmes where he had uh, 54 total yards a 29 yarder and a 25 yarder so technically 38 they they finished with the exact same number all purpose yards 114 wow so when you look at it that way but that's 228 yards all all purpose for both guys with the number of touches but you know sometimes you can try to trick teams you can try to do different things sometimes you are who you are and ETSU is who they are with those two guys producing and why they're going to be successful is because those two guys are producing. It's going to open up everything else. I thought last week they did a great job, the coaching staff, Coach Sanders, of game planning, getting sort of sailors in there first to get on the edge more, and then all of a sudden just go within between the tackles of Quay Holmes after that fact. And Jacob Sailor seven catches in the pass game, and a lot of those screens. But, again, just toss sweep screens, getting laterally, making the defense move, and have to, to play all 53 and a half feet of the field, uh, I, you know, as far as the width of it. And I think that was important. And then, again, when it came down to money time and he needed those yards late in between the tackles, that's really what Quay Holmes is, and they did a great job of maximizing, I think, both guys' talents. One thing I'll say, a little discouraged by the Buck Wild formation, 
four carries, six yards for Malik McGee. I think all six of those yards came on his first touchdown run, I believe. Did you see anything that perhaps Austin P was doing? Were things just not gelling? Well, and, and one of those was a minus seven or eight on a snap. So one, one of the carries, I think, was like a seven, eight-yard loss. So and it still counts, but it was a mishandled snap. So it might not have been as bad. But, yeah, I think early in the game, Austin P was very prepared. And because they don't – I thought Matt Wilson brought up a great point. Because they don't practice that a lot, it's not their bread and butter. Right. A lot of those aren't what you consider true options or zone reads or any of the other terminology where it's a, a true option. It's either he's going to give it, he's going to keep it, or they've got something off of that. So I think that's that's in. But when it did get the touch inside the red zone at the seven yard line, he Converted. was able to take that to the house. They do a really good job running it. They do a good job throwing it. They they got a, a lot of guys playing very well for them offensively. But the quarterback is the one that makes them go right now. Last year, early in the year, was kind of finding his footing. They were kind of trying to figure out who their quarterback was, I think, last year early on. They settled on uh, who that was, and as the season went on, you could see them getting better and better and better. You know, they had a little bit of a rough start to the start of their season last year, but as it went on, they were really playing well down the stretch. Uh, He's the guy that makes them go. He's accurate throwing, makes good decisions with the ball. Uh, Obviously, he's athletic and can run the football, but he, he distributes the thing around like you want a quarterback to do. And, and they're good up front in the offensive line. They have good players and playing with a lot of confidence. They're not turning the ball over, not making a lot of mistakes, and that's a tough combination. To yeah, I mean, get got good coaches, got good trainers, got a good field, they got a good uh, press box. They got a good – I mean, what, what, I mean they're, they're unbelievable right now. They, they've ended the year on a run last season. They've been able to continue that. But you look at the numbers. We're going to talk to Dan Scott here in the third segment. And, and Mike, we've talked off air preparing for today's podcast. I mean, they, there's not a whole lot they don't do well. Yeah, that, of course, about Furman. That's now by from Coach Sanders. And I'll hear Dan Scott talk with you, and I'll chime in as well in that third segment about Devin Wynn and Thomas Gordon, really their top options in the running game and the receiving game last year. Those are the same guys that are back this year, but their numbers are that much better. So that does tell you either, look, they went and got that much better themselves or someone around them is making them better, right? And it's interesting that Coach Sanders brought up, you know, Furman, I think, won their last four last year. Uh, Obviously, the ETSU setback was a difficult one for them, but then they go on that run and win a bunch of games late, end up tying for the Southern Conference Championship with uh, ETSU and Wofford. Uh, They are the ones left out of the NCAA playoff and Dan Scott I think we'll have some interesting comments on that as well uh, they just drops into our interview a little bit later but it wasn't Darren Granger that was under center it was Roberts that they settled on and he was looking very good he played eight games last year Granger played four uh, there are two other quarterbacks that played in at least three so they found some consistency and continuity last year and had some success but it wasn't with Granger so to me that does say like coach Sanders that's what makes them go. And, of course, offensive line is a bit more difficult to quantify and qualify, uh, but he mentioned that too. So the offense just seems like right now it's doing a lot of things well. And then you look at the defensive stats too, as we'll talk about with Dan Scott in a bit, and they're just as good. They had three um, quarterbacks play last year, and there were some injuries amongst a couple of guys, uh, Harrison Roberts being the one that was projected uh, to start. And so I think that was an issue. It took them a while to get going. But they won six of their last seven, and they're eight and one against FCS opponents in their last nine. So they were playing good football at the end of the year. Their only loss, I think, was to Samford. Uh, Samford went to Furman, I believe, won that game, and so that was their only uh, sort of blemish once the ETSU game ended. So they bounced back pretty well uh, from there, and they're off to one of the best starts. I think the last couple of years they've had trouble just getting wins early in the season. And, and it sort of stymied them. So now, you know, they got the win against Charleston Southern, got a huge conference win against Mercer to start the season. A couple of years ago, I think they opened up very first game of the year at Wofford. And again, it's one situation, Southern Conference football, you have to sort of take the money games when you can get it. So it throws the, the, the conference schedule off. And sometimes you'll get a game where you should have Furman Wofford. The, their biggest rival shouldn't be – it's like having – ETSU and Chattanooga play right off the bat start the year, right? That should never happen in football, but it had to happen. And I know that that was a game that was like came down to like a two-point conversion yeah, that or something game, crazy. Yeah, exactly. Tristan Luke from 44 yards out got it within 24-23 and then a pass intercepted on the two-point conversions. They tried to win it on the road yeah. and get the two to go ahead. Yeah, and, and that and that changed the the start of the season. So so Furman being able to start the season 1-0 in league play, uh, and and in the, you know they got Charleston Southern before they but again they played two FBSs so they started one and two 
And, and I know it's FBS, but you still start one and two, so sometimes that can be hard to recover from. But Furman, I mean, just absolutely throttled a Mercer team that I thought would be able to put up points at least against people, uh, 45-10. Now, there were a lot of turnovers in there for Mercer. Um, uh, one of them came in the red zone, and I, I know they were driving to maybe tie the game at 14. They turned it over very quickly. Furman went down, made it 21-7. Then Furman onside kicked and got it. And so Furman's been aggressive in the kicking game as well. they got great special teams. I mean, it's really it, it's one of the best Furman teams. And I remember kind of laughing – and, uh, you know, SoCon John said something who's been a guest on the show. Uh, SoCon John Hooper covers Southern Conference. I think he had said at the end of last year, don't be surprised if Furman doesn't make a deep run in the playoffs and maybe even scare a semifinal round. And at first I was like, what are you talking about? But now uh, maybe he had some inside information. And maybe we just didn't know that, that Granger was going to be as good. Darren Granger, the quarterback, was going to be as good this early as a redshirt freshman taking advantage of the four games that you're allowed to, to sit out and still redshirt. So I think Furman is is right now, uh, easy to say, leader in the clubhouse, the best Southern Conference football team, top to bottom, are playing the best right now of anybody. Clay Hendricks started in 2017 with Furman. In their first three games of every season, they have been a combined one and eight under Hendricks. But then you look at 2017, and they won six in a row and like seven of their last nine. Then last year, we know what they did. They were obviously spectacular. You mentioned the stats already. They're like 8-1 and one in their last five with FBS or nine with FBS well, opponents or whatever it is. But So they get better as the year goes along despite those tough starts and those top-level In 2016, they started, and that was what, what got the previous coach fired. He was 0-5. Yep. So, I mean, if you want to even go back to there, uh, you were talking about 1-8. One 1-3 one of their last five. Oh, my one, goodness. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable. So the fact that they've gotten some wins here early – has changed sort of the feel at Furman. And so it'd be interesting in Paladin Stadium. You know, a couple quick side notes. ETSU actually opened up Paladin Stadium in 1981, lost that game 21 nothing, And the worst defeat, sort of like we talked about in Boone, uh, ETSU was able to put the most points up. It was a large margin of victory by an opposing team. Same thing, ETSU able to do that back in 1997. Bucks down actually 28-10 at one point, won the game 58-28. And so that'll be some talking points for us on Friday, at least for me. And also on the pregame show, we'll talk to Matt Wilgham, who was on that team at that time and what maybe he remembers about that game. So that'll do it for our wrap-up of the press conference to Randy Sanders. Coming up next, you're going to talk a little volleyball, right? Volleyball, Kayla Massey and Olivia Cunningham, 9-3. and three, The team has started conference play coming up this weekend. Well, I feel bad for them. They just sit here and endure listening to us for a few minutes. Now uh, they'll be able to sit in the hot seat, talk to Mike Gallagher. Dan Scott, third segment, FCS uh, stats, FCS top 25 on our fourth segment. We'll be back talking volleyball right after this time. Out to your word from Sandham Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now... We've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Santos and the sidekick, Jay steps aside. I am Mike Gallagher. It is segment number two on this Wednesday, and we have volleyball in the building. First time we've talked to volleyball this entire year, and it's a shame that we haven't had them on sooner. They've been doing their thing on the court nine and three, and we have a senior leader and a freshman leader both here. Kayla Massey, been a star on campus for a while. Olivia Cunningham just stepping into that star status, and uh, she definitely has considering the stats that she's already put up. I want to talk to both of you about uh, a ton of different things. Um, not only volleyball related, but just you as people, get people more in touch with the volleyball team and such. Uh, firstly, I want to start with you, Olivia. You don't really go by Olivia a ton. It's no. Betty. So I need to know where the nickname Betty came from. So when I was 11, I made homemade cookies. And so my coach called me Betty Crocker, and it stuck with that ever since. And oh, so 11 years old, already making cookies. Yes. <laughs> and people think it's like running in my family it's like my ancestor's name but no i just go by betty that's okay. all i 
here on the court and yeah. I'm guessing these cookies must have been pretty good if the name Betty Crocker <laughs> yes. stuck because yes. Betty Crocker is kind of a famous. Her I chocolate mean, cake is amazing. <laughs> so so it's not just cookies. You have oh, diversified cakes too, yes. to cakes and other baked Brownies, goods. Brownies, yeah. Very impressive. Uh, that is making me extremely hungry on this Wednesday <laughs> morning. Uh, Kayla, I need to know what a week in the life of Kayla Massey is like. You're a nursing major. Yes. And that is very, very rare for athletes. Obviously, when it comes to Division One athletics especially, you've got a good 40, 45, 50 hours, depending on the week, kind of built into your schedule. That's a full-time job and then some. <laughs> then most athletes, I, I'm not generalizing too much here, I don't think, but like business, communication, something like that. I was a communications major, mm-hmm. Division Three athlete. For that, me, I was even kind of overwhelmed, you know, <laughs> like as a Division Three athlete putting in like 20 hours a week with easy communication classes. But your Division One. You've obviously started on the court for a while as a middle blocker and now a senior, and you're doing nursing, which is kind of a full-time job in itself. Can you tell us just what a Monday through Sunday is like for you? (laughs) Yeah, so um, Mondays and Thursdays I have clinicals from 6 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., so I'm at the hospital all day, and then usually we'll go to practice after that from about 5.30 to 8, 8.30. It's already 14 and a half hours, by the way, if you're not good at math. <laughs> um, so those days are pretty full, and then if we travel on Thursdays, we'll leave after um, I'm out of clinicals, which is about 5. And then Tuesdays, we have morning practice from 6 to 8, and then I have class from 8 to 3.45. Um, and then I usually go to weights on my own with our weight trainers because I can't go to weights on Monday mornings because of clinicals. Um, you're so used to the 14-hour day already. You're just right, like, why not give yeah. me another one? Right, sure, just throw it <laughs> out there. Add them on. And right. then Wednesday's pretty much the same, um, 8 a.m. to 1, and then we have practice 1 to 4. So, so pretty full. <laughs> yeah, from Monday to Sunday, if you're to add up how much you're doing volleyball and nursing over seven days. It's a full-time job. <laughs> I mean, a full-time job is 40 hours a week, Kayla. So are we talking <laughs> like job. 80, 90, 100 hours? Like Pretty that close. Is, yeah, that is seriously two full-time jobs. I love the, I just figured I'd go and do some weights on my own because, you know, why yeah, not? Why I'm Kayla Massey and I just do everything. That's amazing. I'm um, going to stick with you for a second, Kayla. Coach Devine, Coach Jenkins. Yes. Uh, obviously, a ton of success under Coach Devine. Off to a great start under Coach Jenkins. Uh, two wildly successful um, coaches, obviously, in her playing career. Benavia Jenkins had a ton of success on the court in the SEC at Florida. Mm-hmm. So you've got two coaches that I think a lot of collegiate athletes would be very happy to play under, but I'm sure very different. What's your synopsis of each? Yeah, um, I think Coach Devine was more um, – outsides oriented trying to train them to do right things um whereas coach jenkins more of a she's a middle mindset so she likes to use her middles a lot and right sides um they both were real big on defense being a defensive team which being in the socon i mean we're all pretty at the same level so being that outstanding defensive team really sets you over the top which makes sense and whenever we're playing the bigger teams like um, maybe we're not doing as much offensively, but blocking a defense always can put us ahead. Do you think that your success in stepping into a role that's more prevalent this year with Braden Tutton being gone, Brian McPartland being gone, you're third in the conference in hitting percentage right now, second in blocks at 1.07 per set. Uh, being the only senior on the roster, you also have a lot of things in terms of leadership off the court, on the court. Mm-hmm. Everything's just bigger for you this year. Do you think that part of that success has to do with Coach Jenkins? Is it maybe hitting the weights on your own a couple more times <laughs> a week? Like, oh, What do you think it's been this year? Um, Yeah, well, my first few years here, I actually had really good examples of leaders. Um, Brianna Allman, when I was a freshman, and then A.J. Lux and Alyssa Cavarda were all really good leaders that I would be able to look up to, and I still call them whenever I have, you know, I need some advice or something. I'll call on A.J. or Cavarda and ask them, you know, what would you have done in this scenario? Just because it is new for me to be in this leadership leadership position, and I'm the only senior, so it's not like I have – you know other girls with me that bring in those different different personality traits like they did um it's been different but I really like it I mean the girls make it super easy for me so can't complain now you got it you got a freshman here. yeah gotta be nice and and, and, and I'm gonna make sure that you're not too mean to Kayla either here Olivia because she is the only senior what do you think of a senior like Kayla Massey the only one on the roster as a freshman you've come in and had tons of success right now um you're let's see second in the conference in kills per set not too bad 23 (laughs) kills last weekend against Georgia Southern not too bad and the team leader in kills per set a leader like Kayla Massey is she very authoritative she seems like more of the lead by example the quieter type but someone that definitely sets you up for success uh to me it's both I look to her as like my mom 
and <laughs> when I was being recruited and once I committed here like I knew who she was like she was like a superstar and right when I got here I was like I want to be best friends with her <laughs> so and we are so we are yeah <laughs> that was a fist bump. It's, yeah, it's not on video, but that was a fist bump between uh, the two of them. How have you made such a successful transition to college? I mean, for so many freshmen, it's going to take a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you're like day one, boom, on the scene. It's just happening. So how has that been so easy for you? I'm sure it's multifaceted, but when we say college success right away, what comes to mind for you? I think my training um, from club really helped me through this process because – I sacrificed a lot of time and had to balance school um, as well. And so I thought coming in like, oh, I'd be so overwhelmed with volleyball. And like, as Kayla said, it is a full-time job. And so I think coming in with Kayla, she really like balanced it out for us and said, look, you have responsibilities. And I don't know, I think it was just, very easy for me to transition because I was already very well prepared. I'm sure everyone that is a freshman that is not having the success very envious because you are making it look very <laughs> easy. Aside from both of you, because you sound like you're each other's favorite person on the team, who is your favorite person on the team outside of each of you? Hmm, I don't know. Honestly, you gotta love Sarah. Oh, you, Sarah uh, Esposito. She's very awesome. Funny. She makes me laugh. Yeah, she's every funny. single time I talk to her. Sarah Esposito's, uh, I guess, is she a sophomore or junior? I can't. She's a sophomore. Sophomore, so that's Sarah Esposito. What about you, Olivia? Um, probably Cindy Cherney because we've been lifelong friends since we were nine. Like, we were on our first ever team together. And so, I don't know, our parents are best friends, and we always just have that connection. So. Speaking of growing up, you got to go back home this weekend in mm -hmm. Knoxville, play at Thompson Bowling. Um, I, I saw post-match, we were there, myself and David Jarlinski, who's your sports information contact. We were both there, uh, kind of just taking everything in, and you were saying hi to you know everybody. Like yes. you're, you're a superstar in the building at Thompson Bowling. What was it like for you to be able to go back home this weekend? Were you able to catch up with a lot of people, just some family and friend time? Mm -hmm. I got to see a bunch of my friends that came and supported me, and I thought it was really cool because I didn't think people would actually come and see but um, once I did, I felt like reassured, like, like this is really cool. Like I'm a college athlete and people can see like my skill and like what we're actually doing. College athlete on a nine and three team, no less. Uh, <laughs> what role do you think, Kayla, that you play in the development of say the Olivia Cunninghams, the Sydney Cherneys, Emily Arnolds, Lauren Hatches, maybe not specifically on the court, but uh, Olivia just said it, you made the transition really easy. She wanted to be like your best friend. It's got to be nice to have like a leadership, um, someone in leadership that's a companion right away and, and does make things not so intimidating because college can be very intimidating. So for you, what do you think you do so well in order to make sure that these freshmen are coming in and contributing? Because there are four or five on the, fr on the court a lot. Yeah, um, I would say I do try to do my fair share of making sure that they're all just taken care of and that they feel um, – good and their classes off the court on the court um that their bodies feel rested that their mindsets are right um so just like all the aspects making sure that they're okay like as Betty said they call me their mom but um it's also my what I'm in school to be so I like to be like that um but yeah just making sure that they're all you know doing good on and off the court so Olivia, and this is the last one for you, and then Kayla, I'll give you one more, and we'll let you go, because Kayla's got like 5,000 other things <laughs> to do today, I'm sure, and Olivia, very very busy as well. You said you chose ETSU Volleyball because of your dedication, hard work, and love of volleyball, mm -hmm. and to me, that just screams Benavia Jenkins recruit <laughs> yeah. right there, to me. Yes. I, I don't know when exactly you did commit, but I know that Benavia Jenkins has to absolutely love that, knowing the type of coach <laughs> that she is. What's your relationship with her? Um... I don't really know how to describe it. Um, I love her to death. Um, she also really reminds me of my coach back home. And so I thought coming in, like, I didn't, like, have her as a coach. So I've never seen her coach. And so right coming in, I was intimidated because of her awesomeness at <laughs> Florida and how great of a player she was. And so right when I got here, immediately when we started training, I fell in love with her coaching and how she taught us and all the skills and techniques she's taught us. I think it's really like, I don't know, it's really suited well for my game. 
is it kind of cool to be part of a new era a little bit of mm-hmm. ETSU volleyball? Like, it's not only the fact that Coach Jenkins is here now, but it's also your freshman class. We just named a lot of them, Emily Arnold and Lauren Hatch. Mm-hmm. A lot of you are having success right away. Like, I feel like as an athlete myself, very – very terrible athlete in college like division three <laughs> had like four at bats of baseball my entire career so not could not trying to compare the two but knowing mindset wise i would look around at my other freshmen and be like yo we're killing this right now yes i agree um knowing that five seniors just graduated and how amazing of players they were and there's seven us of us freshmen and it was a big role to step in so i think we've all really stepped up to the plate and really like worked our butts mm-hmm. off and proven that we're worth it like being here and worth being on the court those freshmen sydney Cherney, who just had an award-winning week this past weekend london kaufman uh olivia herself emily arnold who we mentioned lauren hatch sydney Cheryl, and caroline cromer who unfortunately is injured mm-hmm. right now but she when she does come in uh, i know people are very high on her so probably another uh, that will be contributing soon uh not to end on like a really sappy note kayla <laughs> but to see the next generation of ETSU volleyball players coming in and knowing you're the only senior and uh, maybe even looking back to when Riley Milhorn had her success at the only senior, you were, I believe, a sophomore at that time, Mm -hmm. um, and you were one of the people that were making her senior year so special. Now these younger players are able to do the same for you, and you're really ushering in these uh, this new coach, these new freshmen, and what looks to be more success. How does that feel? Yeah, um, it feels great, actually. I didn't know what was going to happen after Coach Devine left, and then we got Coach Jenkins. And, of course, you see her success in college, and you're like, holy cow, she's good. Like, how is she going to be as a coach, you know? And then we had her for spring, and she was tough on us, but I think it's what we needed. Um, The freshmen coming in, they've completely exceeded my expectations, and coaches too. Um, They've been so good. Um, We definitely would not be 9-3 and if we didn't have the freshmen that we had. they're just great people, and I'm excited, and I'm really fortunate that I get to be their senior as their freshman because when I was a freshman, you know, I still talk to my seniors. They're some of my best friends. So, like, it's really cool to be in their shoes now and be able to see my little babies doing yeah. it on the court, you know. <laughs> Can't end the interview any better than that. Olivia Cunningham, freshman outside here, 3.91 kills per set right now. Kayla Massey, uh, top three in the Southern Conference in two statistical categories, that being blocks and hitting percentage. Thanks both for stopping by. Thank you. Olivia and Kayla, this weekend is Furman and UNCG. Conference play gets started on Friday and Saturday. Furman, 6 o'clock in Greenville, 5 o'clock in Greensboro for UNCG and the Bucks. We are back on Santos and the Sidekick with more after this. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sandos and the sidekick back with you. Segment three on this Wednesday, and we're going to talk to longtime play-by-play man of the Furman Paladins, good friend of the program, Dan Scott. And, Dan, certainly uh, if you're the Furman Paladins, I don't see any reason why you haven't had a big old red circle on this game probably as soon as last year's game ended. Yeah, well, first of all, Jay, thanks, uh, guys, thanks for having me on. There. And you're right, uh, Clay's even talked about it a little bit this week that that you know they, they try to try to flush those games and, and move on to the next week. But this is one that that's lingered, and, and especially if you look at how the rest of last season played out. If Furman wins that game, there's none of the uh, last week of the season drama to see who wins the, the automatic bid, Paladins would have won it. So uh, there, there is a, you know, as much as they try to downplay this thing, I, I, to, to say that there is no extra motivation this week, I would imagine would be a little less than honest. Yeah, last year's game, uh, you know, a lot of fans wanted to see Austin Herrick and what Logan Marshy, and it ended up working out for, 
for Austin uh, in that. But also Furman going through a lot of different quarterback issues last year just due to injury. There was a lot of young uh, players. This year, clearly uh, not any issue. I think there was a, a preseason injury to a, um, to Harrison Roberts again, right? And then Darren Granger's just taken over, and he's just been a stud for you guys uh, really since been inserted as a starter. Yeah, well, you know, and that's one thing that Clay talked about on his show back on Monday uh, was that going into that game a year ago, they were just trying to figure out who they were because, you know, Harris Roberts was supposed to be the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season. Uh, he, he was a senior, but he had never played a meaningful snap in his entire career, and then he was hurt at the beginning of the year. So the ETSU game was really his first start. They were trying to figure out offensively what can they do you know what what can't they do and as the season went on obviously when Harris was healthy and played well the offense got much better and better but that was his first really meaningful game his first actual career start if you take away the the Clemson game last year where he handed it off three times and then didn't play again because of a thumb injury but um you're right this year that's uh, that that's not the question. Darren Granger has has been the man at quarterback, and uh, you you guys will get to see it up close and personal uh, on Saturday. The the things that he can do, both with his arm and with his legs, and, and the maturity that he is already beginning to show as a redshirt freshman has just been remarkable. We we got to see him four games last year because of the new rule. Uh, they they shut him down. So he had four years of eligibility remaining. And all of that experience, all that extra work has really paid off. And, you know, we got this kid for three more years. Uh, the people around here are just ecstatic. Mike Gallagher with you, Dan. And you mentioned Darren Granger. This team is averaging 10 more points per game this year than last year. And that's with two of your first four games against FBS teams. Devin Wynn was Furman's top back last year. Their top receiver was Thomas Gordon. Same thing this year. So is it just Darren Granger making all the difference, or are there other players you'd point to in qualifying those offensive improvements? Well, I think you first and foremost, as the case with most good football teams, you start up front. Uh, this is a – it's an offensive line that is veteran and at the same time is still, for the most part, young. Um I think everybody but one member of the two deep has eligibility remaining beyond this year, and the majority of them have at least two years remaining. So they, they have been thrown into the fire uh, during Clay's first couple of years here as very young football players. And, and so they have they have grown, they have matured, they have gotten better, and that's where it starts. But then you, you look at you look at this running back stable and it's it's almost at this level especially it's almost an embarrassment of riches uh you know Devin Wynn anywhere else would probably be getting 20 25 carries a game um here you know he's probably carrying it 12 13 14 times why well because you've got uh Corey Watkins you've got a Wayne Anderson Jr. who's a dynamic true freshman from the state of texas and you've got a a young emerging fullback in devin abrams who has started to really come into his own as well uh and, and they believe in playing a lot of guys and keeping backs fresh and what you're seeing through uh the first four games of the season is that philosophy paying off because in our two wins in the second half we've just been able to to bulldoze people and run it down their throats we Darren Granger didn't complete a pass in the second half on Saturday against Mercer because he didn't have to. Dan, I think I counted 22 and a half of the team's 27 sacks being back from last year as we moved to the defensive side of the ball, including the nation's leader last year, Adrian Hope. Is this pass rush even more prolific than last year? I, you know, I think so, and, and I think it's taken a little bit of a time for uh, some adjustment with the change in defensive coordinators. Uh, from Chad Staggs, who left to go be with his former boss, Jamie Chadwell, down at Coastal Carolina, and a really dynamic young guy, 30 years old, Darren uh, 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 Vaughn, making his uh, first uh, foray into the world of being a coordinator. And he has just been phenomenal. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, there's always that adjustment period. But uh, starting with the Virginia Tech game, going back a couple of weeks, 
being aggressive, bringing pressure from different places. And, you know, we had 27 sacks last year. You mentioned Adrian Hope had 15 of them. You look at the uh, the sacks that we have so far this season, which I think off the top of my head totals 11, and Adrian only has two. And that means that A, teams are accounting for him, and B, we're getting pressure from other places up front. Drew Seabrook is a name that uh, people are beginning to hear a lot when it comes to getting pressure on the quarterback. So uh, I, I think that that the, the year that Adrian Hope had last year has made other people around him better almost by default because defenses are really accounting for number 81 out there. We're talking about play-by-play man for the Furman Paladins, Dan Scott on Santos and the sidekick as we get you ready for Saturday's contest against the Paladins and the Bucks. That'll be a 1 o'clock kick time, 11.30 pregame show coverage on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Dan, ETSU fan, certainly partial to a, a four-year uh, lost place kicker and J.J. German and our affinity for him. But you look and you probably got the best triple threat special teams guy not just in the Southern Conference, but I think in all of FCS and Grace and Atkins, he's been doing it for so long, just set a school record. I think he's hit 16 consecutive field goals going back to last year. He does kickoffs. His punting numbers are crazy. He's got a long of 69 this year. Almost half of his uh, punts have gone inside the 20-yard line. Certainly a huge weapon on just anywhere. And I think, was it last year he hit three 50-yard field goals in the same game? Isn't that correct? Yeah, that was that was a game right here at Paladin Stadium against Samford. He, he did. Now, that got him a, a player of the week in the Southern Conference and a national player of the week as well. Uh, you know, you guys know this. Special teams are such a huge part of the game, and, and nobody really thinks about it until you start having major difficulty there. Uh, and and uh, Grayson Atkins obviously is at the forefront of that because of everything you just mentioned. Uh, but it goes beyond that. Brian Bratton, the Hall of Fame wide receiver from Furman, who coaches wide receivers and does the uh, uh, the uh, special teams coaching here, has really taken uh, a lot of pride in that, and that has exuded itself onto the players. Our kick return game, I mean, our kick coverage team has been phenomenal. David Durden, last, uh, coming into last week from Mercer, was averaging over 40 yards a return on the off chance that he got to return one uh, out of all the kicks, you know, Grayson Atkins normally kicks it in, you know, through the end zone. He got to return two, and uh, I think once he crossed the 20 and once he didn't make it back to the 20, our kick coverage unit has been good. It's just been solid across the board, but uh, you're right, Grayson is, is definitely the main weapon there. I think what's also uh, a key of a good team, and I think it's it's something ETSU's been good at this year. The Bucks negative in the turnover category, but they are winning points off turnovers. And Furman's turned it over a few times, but for the most part, not giving up a lot of points and certainly taking advantage of a mistake uh, whenever the defense can give them the ball back. Yeah, and, and I think just uh, off the results of, of the Mercer game, we're now plus two on the season and the turnover margin. We never got above – the uh, uh, the 50-50 mark last year because we fell into such a big hole the first two weeks against Clemson and Elon and, and from that point on we were much better at it uh, that, that's that been a focal point this year in taking it away we forced four turnovers against Mercer this past week uh, you have three interceptions and, and a fumble and you know it, it's every football team works on it they work on drills to, to strip the ball they work on, on different things to to try and, and uh, cause havoc for the quarterback to to make him misread things and get interceptions. And, uh, again, you're, you're starting to see some of these things really, really pay off as, as the, the work has continued. And, um, you know, Robert Riddle from, from Mercer had, had you know, some incredible numbers coming into the game, and we did a really good job of, of, of holding him well below what he was averaging on the season and, and picking – you know, picked him off twice and then and, and picked off their uh, backup quarterback once. Dan, last one for me, just as an overview, Furman leads the league in total offense, punting, sacks, third down conversion percentage, opponents fourth down conversion percentage, and red zone offense. It's not like they're doing one thing well. They're pretty much doing everything well, some things in each facet, certainly. What's been most impressive about this team to you? And if you feel like exposing a weakness or two, I'm sure the Bucks would appreciate it. Yeah, well, you know, I'll just kind of keep that to myself. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, the, the, the thing about it, I, I think the most impressive thing to me, quite honestly, and you can look at numbers and you, you guys know what they say about statistics. You can make them say anything you want. Sometimes they can be deceiving. You have to take the caliber of competition into play. As you said, you know, we have back-to-back games against FBS teams and, and, and can that, you know, skew the stats a little bit. But I think the, the most impressive thing to me coming into this season was this is a team that expected to be good, and and they have they they have gone about their business in a way that allows them to live up to those expectations, and, and you know they they uh, didn't start zero and three for the first time in, in Clay Hendricks's tenure, won the conference opener for the first time in Clay Hendricks's tenure, and and you know the motto that they've had around here has been leave no doubt, don't put your fate in the hands of a group of people who go behind closed doors and call them a, themselves a committee like uh, happened to us last year. Uh, that's been the commitment, and, and I think the impressive thing to me, everybody says it, but not everybody can do it. And I think that's been the most impressive thing to me is this team knows what its potential is, and they have worked their rear ends off to make sure they're doing their best to live up to that potential. Well, the good news is you're going to have the sun turned up for us. 91 degrees uh, in the middle of the day in the lovely uh, upstate South Carolina heat. That's something ETSU really hasn't faced this year. For you know, went up to Boone, North Carolina. It was actually unseasonably cool that day, and the Bucks have played three straight night games. You guys have actually played uh, a few afternoon games. Uh, any thought to uh, that being a little bit of an advantage, you guys? And you normally play uh, afternoon games there in, in the Upstate, as far as you know. Uh, now being four or five games, trying to avoid cramps like that, uh, as opposed to maybe an opposing team that like ETSU that wants to play at night, avoid the heat, and not have as much of that going on. Clay was asked about that uh, earlier this week, and he just has that uh, kind of sideways smile that he has, and he says that's why I like playing at one o'clock. Uh, he, he, he is a, a firm believer that his team week in and week out is going to be the best conditioned team, that you're going to get teams in here who are not accustomed to that kind of heat this time of year, and, and that it is something that's going to work to his advantage. And I know when we kicked off homecoming last year at it was either one thirty or 2 o'clock, he was upset. You know, he, he wants to kick off every home game at 1 o'clock, and that's what we've got on this year's schedule. You know what? Yeah, that goes – you start winning enough games as a head coach, and you'll start getting those things. Absolutely. Hey, one last thing, and it's, it's going to be basketball-related. I uh, heard a rumor. Are you guys going to play some of the hoops game in the downtown arena? Uh used to be the old Bilo Center. I can't remember what the, the new name of it is now, but is, is that something that's going to happen? You're going to take some of your basketball games off campus? Well, it, it's uh, Bon Secours Wellness Arena now. That's the, the, the uh, hospital that bought the naming rights. They call it the well. Um, you know, it's interesting. Officially, officially, uh, nothing has been released by the uh, school. Nothing has been officially confirmed or announced by the school. But when your athletic director is going out and speaking to people and telling people it's going to happen, when your coach comes on the podcast that we do every couple of weeks and says it's going to happen, you can take that for a, take that for what it's worth. But yeah, that's the plan. Once they get the contracts all done and there'll be an official announcement, but I think we're going to play seven of our home games uh, downtown. They're going to reconfigure the arena to have about 5,000 seats in it. And, uh, you know, it's a place where they, they host NCAA tournaments. It's got kind of a big-time feel to it. And it's uh, our new athletic director, Jason Donnelly, kind of part of his his vision coming from Villanova and, 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 and using some of that imprint to – do things here to try to elevate the level of not just a basketball program but all the programs but specifically in this case basketball we'll see how it plays out i know everybody around here is excited about it we'll see if uh, we'll see if the fans reciprocate well i'm excited about it because etsu always struggles in timmons arena i'm all for something new <laughs> every time ETSU <laughs> goes out here Furman does a great job and and uh it doesn't matter if, it, if it's coach richie um uh, you know, or or, or uh, Nico before that, Mevative, or uh, so uh, the Bucks have struggled there. But uh, interesting take. I, I watched the uh, 
the Furman game replay. I watched all four now and, and thought that was interesting that I'd not heard that from anybody. And then, of course, you mentioned your AD just kind of openly threw it out there and just kind of curious on the take. And, and he gave all the reasonings why, because Villanova, they played on campus, moved downtown. And Bucks know about the on-campus uh, facility because we went up there and, and, and took a pretty good uh, a, a whooping the year they won a national championship although Furman last year able to go up there and pick up a big win so looking forward to football though yeah, certainly basketball's around the corner yeah and uh, just, just remember it it's seven games but they're not necessarily all going to be conference games so uh, you may not quite be off the hook <laughs> we'll oh, have to wait and see maybe I shouldn't have said that yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Dan Scott, we appreciate it, my good friend. I'll see you down in Greenville here in a few days. All right, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right, that's Dan Scott, play-by-play man, Furman Paladins. When we come back, a look at the Stats FCS Top 25 right after this timeout to from San Jose Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. that joke in the past I, I I about the time that you forget is about the time i'll probably forget yeah, and then just stop right. right over it and then you're going to enjoy yourself and maybe even restart the bumper and make fun of me and That's do some fun. awful segment i always like that fun nobody likes very good yeah. fcs top 25 this week the stats fcs top 25 let's run it down ndsu 153 first place votes after a 27 to 16 win at the Fargo Dome against number four UC Davis without three picks thrown by Jake Meyer, perhaps it would have been the upset of the 2019 FCS season. And if you don't think so, just make sure to notice something that you pointed out to me, Jay, last week, that the Bison were something like 17-point favorites entering the contest, even though just three spots separated NDSU and UC Davis in the poll. It would have been a huge upset, but those three picks by Jake Meyer, quarterback for UC Davis, put them behind the eight ball, NDSU, an 11-point win. Here's the controversy okay. in the top 25 poll this week. Your guy, Brian McLaughlin, says he is still voting for James Madison at number one in the poll. He was joined by just three other people. Last week's poll had seven people with him, but the win for NDSU dissuaded a few more. The Dukes were up 20-14 to 14 at the half over Chattanooga, ended up winning 37-24. to 24. McLaughlin says he isn't trolling, isn't kidding, isn't hot-taking. He says he is 100% serious about voting for James Madison. He wrote a whole article about it because of his deep look at both teams in the preseason, that being James Madison and NDSU. And he says the lack of what the Bison returned, so they lost 227 combined starts from the 2018 year and 548 career starts and a head coach. While James Madison brought back more than 20 players with starting experience, he says he's gotten over 100 angry emails about it. Were you one of them? And if not, why not? Because I'm angry about it. I I am not. um, That's crazy. Come on. I'm not angry about it. I am angry about it. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm angry about other things, uh, but I'm I'm not really that angry over... One and two teams, uh, you know, I that just doesn't. NDSU's won seven of the last eight. Yeah, FCS national titles, and it'll work itself out because nobody really cares. About, I mean, NDSU isn't really concerned if they're number one in the polls right now. I guess they just want another ring. And the the other argument he had was NDSU is showing chinks in the armor, but they have a lot of young guys that are starting now. A lot of those young guys are starting to play better, and as they get going, the machine will keep turning, and we will see how that goes uh if you ask me who i would vote for i would probably vote um actually not probably i'd go north dakota state yeah i don't i don't think i would vary in that but i'm not like egregiously i'm more upset on how they drop trivially drop teams for fbs or raise people or what they did with uc davis where i thought they're going to do uc davis i'll let you get to that but i was more prepared for a rant on that today which i didn't have to do 
Before UC Davis at number four, it's South Dakota State at number three, a destruction of Southern Utah, 43-7. to The Jackrabbits, a safety, interception return, passing touchdown, and rushing touchdown in the second half, diversifying their scoring. They stay at number three. UC Davis, despite the loss to NDSU, holding strong and besting oddsmakers' expectations. That's something that gives them their number four spot. Again, and before you get to them, let me get to number five. Weber State, they had a bye last week, so they move up one spot there. One and two, remember, but those losses to San Diego State and Nevada by 12 combined points. We really get to find out what they're about this week. Matchup of the week in the FCS. Northern Iowa, who we'll talk about in a moment, travels west to take on the Wildcats in Ogden. But UC Davis, I think very heady and smart voting still at number four, giving NDSU a scare at their place. I was very happy that everyone rewarded um, UC Davis for going there. Right, A lot of people won't even go there and play that game, but they went there, they played, they were competitive. A couple, as you mentioned, turnovers late. But them going there said a lot about it, and them hanging in there says a lot about UC Davis. And a lot of people, including myself, wanted to see what they were going to do this year to see if last year was a little bit of flukes or like Colgate that, that it seemed to come back down to earth. UC Davis has, I think, answered all those questions if they are deserving. They'll be tested again this week. I'm excited, and we'll talk about this a little later, but I'm excited. I think there's five. Uh, interesting games there's four between ranked teams and there's one uh, that that isn't because it just involves Austin P but there are five other FCS games outside Southern Conference need to pay attention to we will talk about that in just a little bit Kennesaw State number six they were down 16 to 7 at the half to Missouri State so you know I was excited but the Owls a three touchdown third quarter to take the lead and eventually the win 35 to 24 over Missouri State you got to rant right now have you seen their schedule no Point University who yeah uh, they, like they, they, they went to Kent State and almost had an FBS win. I give them the gold all the credit. Then they played Alabama State, played Missouri State. They will play Reinhardt. They're going to go two wow. non-D1s that don't count, and then they get into some of their conference games, Charleston Southern, Presbyterian, North Alabama, the brand-new uh, team that stepped up from Division Two, Monmouth, Campbell, Hampton, Gardner-Webb. You know, any, it oozes a top five schedule. You know, right? any Kennesaw State hate, I am 100% on board with. Okay. Though the stat of the week for me, Bronson, Rocksteiner, and Isaac Foster carried the ball 18 combined times for 404 yards. Yeah, that's pretty solid. 22, yard, 22 yards per carry for Kennesaw, including three touchdowns of over 65 yards. Montana State, number seven, 14 points per quarter for a walkthrough against Norfolk State. They, along with the Owls and Weber State, up a spot apiece. Number eight, Villanova, big-time win over Towson. The Wildcats stay undefeated by putting up 52 on the road and taming the Tigers in overtime. Tom Flacco, 414 total yards and two touchdowns in the loss. Daniel Smith, dual-threat quarterback for Nova, 339 combined and six touchdowns in the win, up to number eight, a 10-spot jump this week. You're sad about Towson. I, I actually, I was hoping you would just yada yada that, move Sorry. on, and talk about how Towson could probably beat Florida this week. UNI holds steady at number nine. Didn't necessarily look convincing in their win over Idaho State, 13-6 to the win coming off a of bye week, just 234 total yards for UNI. They're going to need more than that to compete with Weaver State this weekend. There's number 10, Towson, down five spots after that loss to Nova. And as you said, another top 10 team this week. Unfortunately for them, it's a top 10 FBS team in Florida. I would say run for cover, though. You seem to be all on the Towson bandwagon yet again, and I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm always on, 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 the, on the Tiger bandwagon. You, you call me what you will. I, I think Florida coming off a big win Tennessee. They're looking a little farther down the road. Do I think Towson's going to win? Of course I do not. I think Townsend for a half will throw a little bit of a scare into the Gators, and I think Flacco will take care of the football much better than we saw Tennessee a, a week ago. Letdown game, though, maybe? I, it you know, could it was be. a rivalry Listen, game against Tennessee. They were on their There's back a lot, and they've still got a, a, a lot of SEC games to get ready for, so I think Towson's going to give them a little bit trap of a game. scare. A tiger trap game. Yeah, not calling for the win. Jacksonville State, maybe you will later in bold predictions. Jacksonville State, number 11, ho-hum for them, down a spot this week after a 30-12 to win over North Alabama, Zarek Cooper, 266 and three scores, including the nail in the coffin of UNA in the fourth quarter, 53 yards to Josh Pearson, who had 149 and all three Gamecock touchdowns in the air. Nichols and Maine, I haven't seen a tie this year in the poll, but we have one. They are 2,069 points apiece in the poll, tied for number 12. Nichols on the road at Austin Peay puts up almost half a hundred, uh, 48 to 30 on the road against Austin P. That's not right. Who are they playing last week? Because we played Austin P. So that wouldn't make sense. That is uh, my notes are incorrect. They uh, they won by 18. Regardless, while main dispatches of Colgate, who struggles 
continue as you mentioned after the great year they had last season 0-3 against the CAA this year is the Patriot League side after going 3-0 and last year Stephen F. Austin that's Stephen F. Right. Austin I said Austin P Stephen F. Austin you see it was confusion. an Austin Austin I it's, get one, it's one of those before and after type things if you're doing before and after in Wheel of Fortune you know exactly what I'm talking about Illinois State number 14 in a game where airing it out was what weren't you on that on what Wheel of Fortune I was number okay. 14 Illinois State in a game where airing it out was the thing to do the Redbirds out air northern arizona by 62 yards and thus get the win 228 receiving yards and two touchdowns for freshman all-american andrew edgar 419 and those two touchdowns for brady davis in the 40 to 27 win and rounding out the top 15 central arkansas not the finest week for the bears but hawaii on the road a strong foe the fbs side improves to three and one over central arkansas in a game that kicked off at by my count 11 p.m arkansas time from what I saw, 35-16, to 16, the final. Hawaii's Cole McDonald, just to throw in some FBS stats, threw for four touchdowns and 300 more yards. Now 1,317 yards on the year. That's fourth in the FBS behind three men. Can you name them? I cannot. Washington State, you know, the nine touchdowns mm. for uh, Anthony Gordon helped last week. 1,894 passing yards through the air through four games. That's almost 475 yards per game. He also has 21 touchdowns, so averaging five and a quarter per game. Joe Burrow of LSU, you probably should have gotten. Mm. And then Drew Plitt from Ball State. I'll give you a pass there. And Furman at number 16, a massacre of Mercer, 45 to 10. Which was sh- not shocking Furman won. I think shocking that Mercer only had 10. If you would have said 45-28, I would have been right there with you, but 45-10 was shocking. North Carolina A&T, the Paladins switched spots with A&T, who were on a bye. Number 18, Montana, up one spot for what ended up being a blowout of Monmouth. A scoreless first quarter gave way to five second-quarter touchdowns between the two sides. Dalton Sneed, 334 passing yards and four scores. Southeastern Louisiana, they trailed Lamar at the half, but SELA, Sella, I guess you'd call him, was just too much in the second half. 45-34, it's kind of like SEMO, except with an L and an A. Uh, up two spots, the Lions, after putting a scare into Ole Miss the week before. And number 20, we mentioned one Flacco earlier, Tom's older brother, Joe's alma mater. The Blue Hens of Delaware stay at number 20 by eking out a one-point win over Penn from the Ivy League. Penn got the final touchdown of the game on a 69-yard punt return from Isaiah Malcolm, but sensing the momentum and wanting to win on the road right then and there, as we talked about in segment one, Furman tried to do that against Wofford a couple of years back in the opener. They go for two on the road. They don't get it. They lose 28-27. And I love the call. Uh, you know, and it, you have to on the road, right? I, I think so. I mean, I think it's, it's a it's a smart play. I think you're you know just trying to set the tone. There's several different things. That obviously, didn't work out. But I think it was the right call, and again, I wasn't doing it. But if you're, that's what I would do. I think you should do it. I think you should try to win the game. Giving lots of attention to the number 21 team in the country this week, Eastern Washington, having a very weird year out on that red turf out west. They have a win over Division II Lindenwood, but they gave up 31 points to them. They lost by four in a very competitive game against Jacksonville State, a couple of top 25 teams. And I think at the time, there were a couple of top 15 teams, or Jacksonville State was right outside the top 15 Gave up 47 to Washington. You say, okay, that's that's not weird. But then they fell behind 28 to nothing this week before storming back and ultimately losing to Idaho, starting to look like they just don't have it this year. Eastern Washington, 40 and a half points per game is what they're giving up. Certainly on the defensive side of the ball, they have struggled. Though give Idaho credit, they nearly upset Wyoming the week before they hold off Eastern Washington and send them tumbling 10 spouts, spots down the pole. Eastern Washington, a perennial top five or top 10 team at number 21. I, I, this is one of those baffling ones. I get Eastern Washington for a decade has been great. Can we not just knock them out? Until they win wow. a few games. Interesting. I mean, Idaho is – it's not like they play two FBS teams, right? I mean, they only played one FBS team. They played a couple of FCS, and they played a Division Two team. And they just continue to just, well, we love Eastern Washington. They, they can't be that bad. they got to be great. You don't like Knock the reputation out. vote. I don't. And that's a popularity contest. That's what it is. Youngstown State, number 22 on a bye last week. Should be a win this week against Robert Morris. But stop and think about this. Robert Morris just beat VMI by 10. Robert Morris also lost to Division Two Kentucky State, 13-7, to three games ago. Scary to think about if you're a Buck fan. I would rather you don't want just, to think about no, it. No, I just want to be just firm and okay. figure that out. SEMO, uh, number 23, a thrashing of West Virginia State, 56-10. to 10. They stay where they were at entering the week. Elon, number 24, I was excited last week to see if Elon could give Wake Forest a go. Needless to say, they could not. A decimation, 49-7 to 7 of the Phoenix by Wake Forest, down two spots. Wake Forest now 4-0. and oh. And Citadel, 
They stay put after perhaps a closer than expected 22-13 to 13 win over Charleston Southern. Uh, five pass attempts, 57 rush attempts. That's nothing new for the Bulldogs. Still gets the job done. They're number 25. So if you're keeping track, all 25 teams the same as last week, except just in different spots, or at least some of them in different spots. Villanova up 10 spots for their win over Towson. Eastern Washington down 10 spots with their loss to Idaho and very minor movements amongst the rest of the teams in the top 25. Again, I've, uh, things I'm shocked about. I'm very shocked that Eastern Washington has not dropped out. Also shocked that Wofford beating Gardner-Webb, who got no votes last week, somehow magically gets 22 votes and what has been a down year for them. And, uh, Did and you think ETSU I, would get some votes this week for that win over Austin? I didn't think so. I, I didn't think so. So, I, uh, And I think, obviously, if they win this week, they'll get votes, could, could possibly even get in there. And so we'll have to see in the weeks before. I will say this. As you hit the close here, we get going on right now. Tom, I'm excited. Number two, JMU at number 24, Elon. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That game, number 12, Maine, is at number Both eight, CAA Villanova. contest, yep. Right. Number 18, Montana, at number four, UC Davis. Guy. And then number nine, Northern Iowa, That's the is at Weber State, number five. And then the other one, Jacksonville State's at Austin Peay. You got four matchups of ranked teams, and then certainly you don't want to call Austin P a trap game, but probably an angry Austin P team knows they probably could have beaten ETSU if some things go differently last week. And Jacksonville State should be on upset alert. I would. And the only other one I would point out is maybe North Dakota's at Eastern Washington to see if Eastern Washington can at least bounce back. North Dakota's having a pretty good year so far. So. FCS Top 25 snaps. Yep. All right, there's our stats, FCS Top 25. Friday, we'll talk a little Southern Conference. We'll break down fully ETSU and Furman and bold predictions. Bold. All that coming up more. Big thanks to uh, Dan Scott. We'll talk to... Caleb Massey, Olivia County. Oh, ETSU Volleyball. Back in here, Sports Network. See ya.